0: It's nice. I appreciate it. (laughs) We're glad that you're here this morning. I hope the time we spend here together studying the Word of God and strengthening and encouraging one another as fellow Christians will be beneficial for all of us. We're at that time of year when most of the major magazines, whether print or online, they're putting out pictorials that recount all of the major news events from the previous year. And sometimes you'll find them making predictions from experts. There'll be articles about what's going to transpire in the years to come. And in some cases, you'll even find them predicting what things are going to be like 10 years or 20 years from now. And in the past, a few of those predictions have proved to be amazingly accurate. And some of them have been not so accurate. I think it's particularly amusing to go back and read some of the predictions from the past about what work life in America would be like in the future. And so, for example, this is from about 50 years ago. Walter Cronkite reported in 1967, quote, Technology is opening a new world of leisure time. One government report projects that by the year 2000, the United States will have a 30-hour work week and month-long vacations as the rule. Here's another from 1967, too. This is from the Gastonia North Carolina Gazette. Those who hunger for time off from work may take heart from the forecast of political scientist Sebastian De Grazia, that the average work week by the year 2000 will average 31 hours, perhaps as few as 21. 20 years later, by the way, we're almost 20 years later now. So 20 years later, on-the-job hours may have dwindled to 26 or even 16. And so the thought was one of our biggest problems in the future would be trying to figure out what in the world are we going to do with all of our free time. Well, I think for most of us, this hasn't really held true. We seem to be as busy or more busy than ever. We walk fast, we talk fast, we eat fast. Here we are at the end of... 2018, there are less than 48 hours left in this year. What will life be like in this next year? Will it be as busy? Will we make good use of our time? You know, in just a few days, 367 by my count, that's not many. In just a few days, 2019 is going to be over. How will we look back on that year? Will it be with regret? Or with a sense of joy at what we've accomplished? Will we look into the future with anticipation? Or with dread? There's a passage of scripture here in Ephesians chapter 5 that I think can help us as we enter into this new year if we listen to it. Paul writes here beginning in verse number 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul presents some important lessons here that I think we do well to consider. The first one is that we need to make use of our time because our time on earth is limited. The psalmist wrote, O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. That's the 39th Psalm, verse 4. Again, from the 90th Psalm, we find the length of our days is 70 years or 80, if we have the strength. They quickly pass and we fly away. Now, for some of us who are younger than others of us here, 70 or 80 years might sound like a long time. But I know that there are some of you out there in our audience today who once thought that 70 or 80 years was a long time, and you've passed both of those in some cases in your rearview mirror. It's all relative, isn't it? To two teenagers in love sitting out in the car and talking to one another an hour or two, man, it seems to go by just like that. But to the parents who are anxiously wondering what's going on out in the car, that hour or two feels like an eternity. It's all relative. Our time is short. It's brief. And so the psalmist encourages us to number our days so that we can develop a heart of wisdom. There's a story that ran in People magazine, uh, an article several years ago entitled Dead Ahead. And it talked about a new clock that had been developed that would count down to the time of your death. It would calculate how much time you had left on this earth. And it did that by figuring an uh, average life expectancy of 75 years for males, 80 years for females. And you would plug in your age and your sex, and it would give you how much time you had left. Now, I don't know how many of those they sold, they went for 99.95 at the sharper image, store uh, back in 1995 dollars, so I'm imagining probably not that many. But the idea is actually intriguing. Isn't that really what the psalmist is encouraging us to do when he says to number our days? If I live to be 75 years old, I have just under 15,000 days left to live. a little less than 15,000. But of course, neither you nor I have the guarantee even of tomorrow. Scripture impresses upon us again and again and again not to count on tomorrow because tomorrow might not come for us. Our life is like a a vapor. It's the, the morning fog that burns off in the heat of the day. It's like the grass of the field that's here today and it's gone tomorrow. Today is all we have. To value our time because it's extremely limited. And because of that, Paul says that we need to make the best use of our time. Secondly, we need to take advantage of every opportunity. And he tells us why we need to do that. He gives a reason because the days are evil. Jesus said that Satan is a robber and a thief. And one of the things he tries to steal from us is time because it is such a precious and limited possession. Just think about all the time that's wasted in sinning. Think of all the time that's wasted in bars or in a gambling casino or in shallow affairs. Think of all the time that's wasted gossiping about people or talking ugly about them behind their backs or spreading rumors. Think about all the time we waste in guilt and anxiety worrying about the consequences of sins that we've committed. Satan's a robber and a thief. But it's not only sin that makes demands on our time. Good things can actually make demands on our time too. Jesus, on one occasion, went to the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, his good friends in Bethany. And he was sitting there teaching, and Mary just sat at his feet, drinking up every single word. Meanwhile, Martha was busy in the kitchen. She was uh, buzzing about, fretting over getting dinner prepared. And finally, she had had enough of that. You know this story. It's recorded in Luke chapter 10. She'd have enough of that, and she goes out to Jesus, and she complains to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me all alone here? Tell her to get up. Come help me make dinner. Jesus said, Martha, Martha. You're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary's chosen what's better. That won't be taken away from her. Now, is Martha sinning by being busy in the kitchen preparing a meal? No, of course not. But the point is she was so preoccupied with those mundane things that she failed to appreciate that God was in her home is the same mistake that you and I make day after day after day. We spend so much time focusing on the here and the now. We get so caught up in it that we forget to focus on those things that are eternal, of everlasting importance. Richard Swenson's a, a medical doctor. He's written a number of books that deal with the anxiety and the, the worry that characterize our age. He calls it overload, and he says that we're just simply overloaded. We're overloaded with commitments. We've committed ourselves to go to this social occasion here, this party over there, or we're on this committee, or we have this volunteer activity, or we've got a ball game for the kids that we have to go to, on and on and on. We meet ourselves coming and going. We're overloaded with commitments. We're overloaded, secondly, with stuff. Our closets are bursting at the seams. Our garages are full. We have to have an extra storage unit in the back, or maybe we rent a storage unit so that we can put all of these things. We've gone into debt to acquire them because we simply couldn't live without them. And, of course, then we worry and fret that someone's going to steal them. We're overloaded, thirdly, in the area of work. We get up early. Some of you here have to drive into or near Houston to go to work, so you fight traffic. We have to deal with a boss who makes unreasonable demands upon us. We work long hours. Maybe we even work weekends. In our modern age, we're so interconnected, a lot of us are never off the clock. We're overloaded on the job. And then there's also an information overload. Uh, Dr. Swinson says that as a doctor, he has to read about 220 articles a month just to stay abreast of what's going on, keep himself current. I encounter that even in... Preaching. You know, if there's some topic you want to read about or some commentary, there's this proliferation of subspecialties. Now you need to read this one that was written by a historian, and this one that was written by a specialist in biblical studies, and this one that was written by a theologian, on and on. And I need to somehow separate what's unimportant from what is important and distill it in a form that is usable. And we all encounter that in our jobs in different ways. If you're a lawyer, you have continuing legal education. If you're a teacher, you've got ongoing training. On and on and on. And now there's the internet. So we have an information superhighway. And the point is there is so much information out there, we can never possibly absorb all of it. And so we're overloaded in that area too. We could go on and on. There are so many demands on our time. Some of them actually good. So many things we need to do. And yet, there are only 8,760 hours in a year. What do we do with those hours? We want to make the most of every opportunity. What do we do? To answer that, Paul tells us in verse 17, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord God wants our minds so overloaded with worry and with anxiety that we can't think spiritual thoughts? Do you think God wants our, our calendars so crowded that we can't make spiritual things a priority that we have no time for him? What do you think God's will is for you? I want to make just two practical suggestions this morning. The first one is to establish your priorities. Now, you're here in the church building at a worship assembly on a Sunday morning. So I assume that at least on some level, you think that God should be a priority in your life. That's a good thing. But once we say that, that God needs to be important, we need to determine just what place he's going to have. Where is he going to be in the list? If I ask you what's most important in your life, I hope that you would say that my relationship with God through Jesus Christ is the most important thing in my life. Well, if that's the case, we need to put him right up there at the top of the list. And we need to say, especially as we go into the new year, everything that I do, all of the decisions that I make, all of my scheduling, all of my relationships, every activity I'm engaged in is going to revolve around this one thing, placing God first. He's the priority. And so when it comes to attendance here, for example. Neither rain nor shine nor early football kickoffs, whatever. Nothing's going to keep me from being in the worship assembly on Sunday morning. I'm going to be there. I'm going to worship the Lord. Nothing's going to interfere with that. Now, that's a visible example of our priorities. But, of course, that's not the sum total of them. It's not even necessarily what's most important. If God is our priority, we need to set aside time for prayer. We need to set aside time for study of his word. I encourage you, make an effort to make a daily time of prayer, whether it's in the morning or in the evening or some hours that you carve out in the middle of the day. Make an effort to pray for your friends, for your family members, for your neighbors, for this church, for the missions that we're involved in. And I encourage you to set aside a time of regular study of God's word. One great thing that you can do, I've mentioned this a time or two already, you can get involved in our one-word study this coming year. This is a daily devotional book revolving around particular words, one a week, important words in Scripture, things like mercy and forgiveness and judgment. There'll be a new one every week, and there's Scriptures, there are devotional thoughts, there are things for you to do. I encourage you to do that and let that draw you closer to God. And not only that, our lesson's on Sunday evening. For this entire year, will relate to these words. And I'd encourage you to come and to participate in that. As as far as priorities go, it might be worth all of us asking ourselves, why can we have 140 people here on Sunday morning and 40 on Sunday night? Now, that's, again, not the sum total of our commitment. Preacher, are you saying that if I don't come on Sunday night or Wednesday night that I'm sinning? No, not necessarily, but I'm saying that it's a question of priorities it shows what's first place and what's not. So whether you come on Sunday night, whether you study this or not, though you should either way, study the Bible. Put aside a time to do that. You'll be blessed as you grow in your faith and in your trust in God if you engage in this uh, constant life of prayer and study the scripture. So that's the first thing. Establish your priorities. And then secondly, Learn how to live for today. One of the biggest problems that we have, one of the greatest thieves of time, is that so many of us are living either in the past or in the future. We're living weighed down by regret about things that we can no longer control. Or we're weighted down with anxiety about things that may or may not ever come to pass. So many of us are engaged in that little game of, I wish it were. I wish it were next week. I wish it were next month. I think about that with Christmas having just come and gone. You know, when I was a kid, that, that period from Thanksgiving to Christmas, man, that just seemed interminable. And all I would be thinking every day, man, I wish it was Christmas. I wish it were Christmas. And then, of course, Christmas gets here, and it's there and gone in a flash yet most of us never really grow out of it. I think about a story I read about a girl who was in college and, oh, she was tired of it. She didn't like going to classes. She didn't like studying. So she told herself, if I can just graduate, get my degree, I'll get married, I'll have kids, then I can enjoy my life. And so she did it. She stuck to it. She studied. She went to class. She graduated. In the course of time, she got married and she had children. But then she discovered that raising children was a lot of work. And so she said, well, you know, if I can just get these kids raised, then I can just relax and enjoy my life. And so she focused on that. And it seemed that the end was in sight. They were all in high school. And then her husband came to her and he said, you know, honey, we don't really have enough money to put any of these kids through college. she saw that he was right and so she went and got a job and she worked at it and she hated it but she said you know if I can just get all these kids through college and if we can pay down all the debt after that well then finally I can relax and I can enjoy my life well finally they got that last kid out of college they paid off all of the parental loans they'd taken out and she went into her boss and she said I quit work only another eight years, you can have a pension for the rest of your life. And she didn't want to do it. She didn't like that job to begin with, but she thought about it practically and she said, well, I, I can't turn down that money. So I'm going to work these next eight years and I'm going to retire and then I can finally relax and enjoy my life. Well, she worked those eight years. She retired with that pension. She and her husband retired about the same time. They sold that house they'd lived in all of those years. They bought a little retirement cottage together. And then they sat on the front porch in a swing and looked at picture albums and talked about the good old days. stretches out before us. May God help us to redeem the time. May he help us to make the best use of those 8,760 hours that we can to his glory, placing him first in our lives. In the words of the Apostle Paul, now it is high time to awake out of sleep. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Friend, if you're here this morning and you've never cast off those works of darkness and put on that armor of light, I urge you to do it today. Put your faith in Jesus, turn to God in repentance, be buried with him in baptism. Don't delay. Tomorrow may be too late. Make the best use of that time. Come to him now before it's too late. Maybe you're here and you already are a Christian, but your priorities have been all out of whack. You put yourself, your wants, your needs in first place rather than God. If you need to rearrange your priorities, make a change in a public way this morning. You have the opportunity now while we stand and while we sing.